here's the series that we are in called The Power of Emotions. And we're closing the series down today. Our heart behind this series was just to talk about not just the state of emotions and where they come from, but just this idea that, 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 that emotions are powerful. Uh, if you've lived any length of time in your life at, past the age of two, you've had times when your emotions have just hijacked your life and, uh, and, and kind of taken over. Uh, how many of you remember the Pixar movie Inside Out? Remember the Inside Out, you know, where all the emotions are controlling everything, you know, they're controlling the little girl, they're controlling the mom and dad. And, uh, and so really that's where we started. We started the first week, Donnie uh, started talking about the power of our emotions, that they either give or take life from our soul. It doesn't matter whether you think it's three base emotions or 21 or inside out had five base emotions. Uh, it doesn't really matter in terms of, he walked us through a little bit of the, sort of the neuroscience behind how the heart and the brain work together in terms of our emotional uh, expression and our emotional state, and what drives uh, the emotions in our life. We read this verse as well. This has been the last three weeks, uh, Jeremiah, where it talks about the human heart. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Keep going. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. Meaning that honestly, the, the charge for us is to really not let our emotions control us, because when our emotions are controlling us, then Jesus is not controlling us, right? Then Christ is not in control of us if our emotions are in control of us. And we also learn that the better we understand them are, and the power of these emotions, the better we can process them. And last week, Zach walked us through just several, you know, several different practical ways of how we can process, better understand, and process any emotional state uh, you might be in. This is one of the, the last four things he gave us was uh, this: the simple process of name it, challenge it, tame it, and trust God's word. We got to name it. We got to be honest about what it is that we're feeling. We have to challenge it because we have to know where it is that it's coming from, and is it true? Is it really a true thing or a true thought, a true um, uh, emotion that we're feeling? Do, can we tame it? Can we control it? Again, we have to have some disciplines in our life in order to understand uh, and better process our emotions. And then trusting God's word. We're going to say that every single week because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we believe in the absolute truth that's been given to us to base all emotions off of. So regardless of where you are in sort of the emotional uh, tidal wave, if you will, of emotions in your life, um, we really have an anchor. We have an anchor of absolute truth. If we trust God's word uh, to help us uh, through that. And so today, I'm expanding the conversation a little bit. Uh, my charge was to talk about emotions and mental illness, all right? Now, the problem with mental illness is that when you begin to talk about just that phrase, mental illness, you do get into a little, it's a little controversial, and it's not just controversial in the church. It's not just controversial to us in the room. Uh, the medical community doesn't even agree all the time about what is and is not considered uh, mental health and mental illness and mental disorders. Uh, and so I wanted to give us just, so we're all on the same page, some statistics, some categories, some understanding of what uh, the National Institute of Mental Health actually says about mental health and mental disorders. And let me, let me just start here with the definition. It says mental illnesses refers to a wide range of mental health conditions, disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior, okay? And uh, it, they go on to say that many people have mental health concerns from time to time, but they become a mental illness when the ongoing signs and symptoms cause frequent stress 
and affect our ability to function. And so what they're basically saying is you might have uh, something that, that is tied to mental illness in terms of you might have anxiety or you might feel depressed or something like that. You might have some of those things in your life from time to time. When it becomes a mental health concern, when it becomes mental health, is when it becomes debilitating, when the pressure of it becomes too much, when it begins to really affect your life. And so that's the, how they're talking about it. They're, now, again, they, don't just, they, they can't agree on everything. There are over 200 classified forms of mental disorders, okay? 200. So which means they can't even fully agree on what is and is not considered mental health. I want to give you the categories that they fall into. They give you seven primary categories that all these fall into, and I'll give you a few examples. There's mood disorders, okay? They, they kind of, again, categorically put these. I just put a few examples down that they gave me. Depression, bipolar, mania, uh, dysthymia, that's, that's kind of, that kind of thing. There's anxiety disorders, which many of you guys know is OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive. There's panic in terms of anxiety disorders. There's personality disorders and autism in the spectrum. Uh, any of the things on the spectrum, they, they term as personality uh, disorders in terms of how it works with mental health. There's dementia and psychotic disorders, which probably the most well-known one is schizophrenia. And dementia. Uh, there's eating disorders, but I don't know if you knew that was a, that was an actual mental health uh, issue as well. There's trauma-related disorders, which you guys might know as P- PTSD, post-traumatic stress. And then there's substance abuse disorders, meaning that there's there's all these things that can happen just strictly from the the, the substance abuse. There's disorders that come from that. Now, here's a few stats I wanted to give you that I pulled off that I thought were interesting. And there's approximately one in five adults in the U.S., which 43.8 million people experience mental illness in a given year, okay? And it goes on to say this, keep going, that approximately one in nine adults have suffered from depression this year, and one in five have at one time received medication for it. At one time or another, have received something that's used to, to, to uh, treat uh, depression, it goes on to say that among the 20 million adults in the U.S. who experience substance abuse, this is going back to some of the correlation disorder, half of them, half of them have a co-occurring mental illness, meaning that, that there's, a, there's a correlation between these two uh, things in terms of substance abuse and struggles with mental disorders. The other one that I saw that I, that I thought was interesting, obviously, was it said more than 90% of those who die by suicide had a, I thought I had the word in here, but it had a documented me- mental health condition, meaning that when they look back at the statistic, when they look back at those who have taken their life, it means that sometime in their life with doctors and conversations with people, they've had symptoms or signs or something documenting the fact that they had mental health concerns and mental health disorders. And I looked up and I was curious, I don't know if you were, but I was curious, what were the four sort of most common in terms of, the, in terms of our country? What are the four most common um, mental health conditions and mental health disorders that we, we see and deal with? Well, Anxiety is number one. Let me read some statistics um, from that. Anxiety dis- uh, disorders, it's the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million people. Um, however, anxiety disorders, even though they're highly treatable, only about 36% of people receive treatment for them. ADHD, which we all know, you know, we usually identify that with kids, but it actually affects 8 million adults. Depression Again, I gave you some of the statistics on depression, one in nine adults. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder affects almost eight million people in the United States. Those are our four most common. And we also know that just uh, we've recently seen, this is something I pulled up this week, where there are, there's an actual study now, not just a study that guesses, but an actual study now that's seen the correlation between social media 
and some of the things we experienced in terms of depression and, and anxiety, and they actually studied some college students, and they found out. They, they did Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram, and, and they saw those that experienced already, already were exhibiting symptoms. Uh, they, they took their, their social media and reduced it. They didn't cut it out. They just reduced it a great amount, and what they saw was an incredible improvement in all of their symptoms after removing some of the social media from them. Now, of course, they guessed about all the answers as to why that's true, but I wasn't waiting for a study to know that that's probably true, right? In terms of just our connection, the, the, the things that we have in our lifestyle currently, our sedentary lifestyle, these are all things that really don't help us at all in terms of the symptoms we experience, the emotions we experience that are tied to mental health and mental health disorders. Now, the reason we got to talk about this is because it's such a huge, huge deal, all right? And it's not just a huge deal because it comes up in extreme examples, like it comes up every time there's a shooting, a mass shooting in our country. Everybody wants to talk about mental health. Everybody posts their Facebook about mental health. And how many people actually talk about it? No one, right? No one actually talks about it. They just, they just oh no, we definitely need to talk about it. We definitely need to be aware but the reason we honestly need to be aware is if you just think about the, the four most common, those are people that are in this room. That affects all of us. And if it doesn't affect you personally, you are within one degree, one relationship away from someone that it does personally affect. Okay, that's, that's how common these mental health and mental illness concerns are, especially as it plays itself out emotionally in people's lives. So why don't we talk about it, right? Why don't we talk about it? Well, it's because it's complicated. It's complex. I mean, in terms of not just, not just the issues themselves, but how to talk about them and where they come from and the root and how they express themselves out differently in every person, it really gets complex. And I'll, I'm not going to say Christians are the worst, but we're probably one of the worst in terms of we don't want to talk about it, and we usually try to simplify it, right? We try to simplify it away like, like as if all of these issues you have, you just don't have enough faith. You know, you're just not praying enough. You don't really trust God enough with your life if you are still having this debilitating issue. And, and Christians are sometimes the worst to kind of judge away and take our limited understanding of something and try to simplify it too much, and it just simply can't be done. This is too big of an issue. It's too complex to understand. I want to give you a, show you just an example of that, just taking the number one issue of anxiety. Let's just take the number one issue of anxiety. Somebody comes to you, it's you, it's your family member, it's someone in your life says, well, I'm anxious. You know, I have, I, have, I have anxiety issues, right? Let me tell you why it's so complex. There's a visual for you. This is kind of a culmination of lots of stuff I was studying over the past couple months. Here's some of the things that come into play. While someone's anxious, it could be circumstantial and it could be experiential, right? Could be circumstantial, meaning that right now, currently in their life, they have so many current things going on that it's actually causing anxiety in their life. A lot of people are attributing this to what students currently feel in school. And students, especially in our culture, our late Norman culture, have a lot of pressure. And so they're experiencing anxiety. However, it could also be experiential, meaning it could be something that they experienced in their past. It could be something that, that was so far in their past, they don't even hardly even remember. All they know is they have this life of this anxious disorder that has kind of affected them their whole life. So it's circumstantial or even experiential. Or it could be personality-driven or just a predisposition. 
Personality, they, they talk about the fact that personality, maybe you've got it, maybe you're a one on the Enneagram, or you know, maybe if you're not functioning in, in the health in, your, in terms of your personality, you have a tendency to lean towards anxiety. You have a I mean, that's just true. There's, there's elements of that that kind of pushes itself out to personality. Maybe you're a little more uh, prone to that. Disposition is just this idea that, look, my grandmother was a warrior, and my mother was a warrior, and my sisters are warriors, and I'm a champion warrior, okay? That's a predisposition. Like, I don't know any different than to worry. Like, that's the only thing I know. So there's predispositions as well in terms of how you were raised. Part of that's experiential too. But there's also the fact that there could be something physical or a physical or chemical imbalance or a combination of both. I mean, it could literally have to do with your lifestyle. It could have to do with the things you eat. It could have to do with uh, the, the things you eat or don't eat. It could have to do with your exercise. It could literally have to do with lack of vitamin D. It could have to do with, a, with an organ that's not functioning properly, which brings us into chemical imbalance and, and some of the things in your brain that aren't functioning properly and hormones are not happening properly. There's all of these things that's possible. And what makes it difficult, again, for us to talk about it is because we don't actually know right? Go to the next slide. We don't actually know what it is. We can't pinpoint. With, you know, it's like looking through a keyhole. I, there's no way if you tell me you have anxiety issues that I can tell you why you have anxiety issues. And more than likely, it's one of these, and actually more than likely, it's a few of these, right? Nod your head if you're with me, yeah. right? So here's the problem. Number one, it's extraordinarily difficult to self-diagnose. It's extraordinarily difficult to self-diagnose, and so you should not try to self-diagnose, you need to get some help in some of those issues. But it's also very dangerous for us to back away from the conversation just because it's complex, just because it's complicated. I mean, guys, we are called to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. We're here to share hope with the world and serve others and love them. How in the world are we going to do that if one in five people we talk to experiences something like this? Like, we're just not going to engage with that part of their life? Are we just not going to talk about that thing, the elephant in the room, so to speak? No, we have to be able to, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of riding the line today, but I need you to understand, it is complex, it is complicated, it is difficult to pin down. I'm not nearly educated adequately enough to talk about 200 symptoms of mental health, let alone the four most common. And yet we are called to engage and love one another and serve one another and, and have these conversations. I, I want to make sure you know that. And so here's what I want to do this morning, just to make sure we're all on the same page. I want to walk you through a few examples of, of what I believe we see in Scripture, because I, I see this from Scripture. This is me as a pastor talking. I see in Scripture that, that it does address lots of symptoms and issues and afflictions when it comes to mental health, even though you're not going to see the word mental health or mental illness in Scripture. You can see it all through the Old and the New Testament. And out of all of those things, here's what, here's what I see, and I hope that you, this is, if you don't remember anything else today, I want you to remember this bottom line, okay? This bottom line, that God provides a way to manage, he, uh, redeem, and heal your greatest affliction. This is what I know to be true. This is what I know to be true. doesn't matter what you personally deal with. I can tell you from what I read and the absolute truth that is the anchor in my life that God provides a way for you to manage, to redeem, and to heal your greatest afflictions. In 1 Corinthians, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He actually says it this way 
He says there's no temptation, and we get caught up sometimes in the word temptation, thinking like, you know, temptation, temptation, but it's actually, the Greek word can be easily, you know, translated as testing or test. So there really is no testing that overtakes you except what's common to mankind, meaning that everyone is fair game. You are not exempt from any one of these issues. Everyone is fair game. He says, and God, yet God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. And actually follows up and says, when you're tested, he will also, read those three words out loud, provide a way out so you can endure it. Now, you know, this is, this is a hard one because you start talking about mental illness and you start thinking through the idea, well, God's going to provide a way. Even, you know, he's going to provide a way to manage this in people's lives who have been sexually abused as kids. Is that right? Yes. And even for those who may have a predisposition or personality disorders, is there a way to redeem some of the things that they're dealing with in their life? Yes. And even for those bipolar with chemical imbalances or, or, or autistic whose brains function differently, that there's a possibility of healing? Yes. Why do I say those three things? Because I believe in terms of Scripture, it's written from an eternal perspective. Right? God's going to provide a way for all of us in our greatest affliction to manage it. He will not give us more than we can manage. He'll give us a way to redeem it, to let it be used for his glory, and to heal it. And I don't know if he's going to heal, you know, you're going to argue with me mentally, well, you can't heal autism. Well, not right now we can't, right? That's not happening right now. I don't know if there's going to be, come a time where there is healing for any type of condition we don't understand. I also don't discount the fact that God can supernaturally heal anyone he wants to heal. But healing is an eternal perspective. Guys, there's healing coming for all of us one day, and it may not be this life. It may be the next, right? There's no separate line in heaven for those who suffer with bipolar, right? There's no autistic corner of heaven. So healing comes. So that's the reason I can say confidently, regardless of what you deal with, regardless of what your spouse deals with, regardless of the person you work with deals with, that God provides a way to manage to redeem it, and to heal. He provides a way for our greatest afflictions. Now, it's not in our strength. I want you to hear this. This is not a, a you-can-do-it sermon. Matter of fact, Paul even says in the second letter to the church in Corinth that we, we're the fragile, we're the fragile nature of the equation. It's God who has the power. Let me read this verse to you. It says, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And it says, therefore, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. This is, again, this is not so much about what you are able to do. It's what God is able to do in and through you. He provides a way for us to manage, redeem, and heal our greatest afflictions. I want to give you three examples this morning. Just walk you through very quickly. Three examples where it kind of you see some of these things, these emotions, these disorders kind of rise up in people in Scripture, and you see how God, some of the things that they do and some of the ways in which God engages with them to help them manage and redeem and heal. The first one is Jeremiah. 
If you don't know about Jeremiah, we read a, a verse from Jeremiah talking about the heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was actually called the weeping prophet. Not just hindsight, God told him that he was going to have this job and that no one was going to listen to him. He was going to have the hardest job in the world. And he just told him that right out of the gate, that's the way it's going to look for your life. He goes on to write Lamentations, and Lamentations is his own personal record, his personal journey, if you will, of what he feels and what he's thinking and what he walks through. And here in Lamentations, we're going to read this part in in chapter 3. These are the words of Jeremiah. It says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all I hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction, right? I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Oh, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Read the word depressed, discouraged, despair. Now, what I want you to notice in terms of this, I'm going to give you some psychological kind of terms that somebody would use if they look back at Jeremiah's life right now, especially in these, these passages. And that is the fine line, the fine line that is the difference between ruminating and remembering. There's a fine line. Okay? He, he, he uses the words, but he want, we want you to understand the, the psychological state he's in. Oh, I remember my affliction. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I remember the, the bitterness and the gall and, 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 you know, he's ruminating on all the negative things that have happened to him and around him. And guys, whether you deal with a mental, mental uh, health issue or not, I'm telling you, we are all guilty of ruminating, right? We're all, it's just like a cow chewing his cud, man. We, we replay out that negative thing at work. We replay out that conversation. We think of, you know, we'll swallow it down and we'll throw it back up, you know, and we'll replay out all those negative thoughts we've had. That's ruminating. And sure, you can use the word remember, but, but ruminating is a better description of what it looks like because it keeps you in a negative place. It doesn't bring any life to you. So it doesn't matter whether you're doing it with a friend over coffee or you're with a really bad counselor. They exist, by the way. A really bad counselor that lets you go down a path that isn't helpful to you. To ruminate and to ruminate and to ruminate. And that's what you see Jeremiah doing. And yet you see the turn he makes. This is why I love the way they write this, the way his heart just pours it out. He's ruminating in one moment and then goes to verse 21 and he says, yet I will call to mind. I will remember. And therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love we're not consumed for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And guys, this is, these are verses that we love. We've grown up in church. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We have a whole hymn about it, right? We love that stuff. But we don't really always take into consideration the despair, the depression, and the discouragement that it came from. Okay, so it's, it's this idea that there is ruminating. There's, that's a natural state that all of us can fall into. But it's an intentional thing to remember. It's an intentional thing to recall. And to remember that God is faithful, that his compassion never fails. Great is his faithfulness. We don't just allow the intrusive thoughts to win the day. We have to be active in actually remembering how good God is and how great he is to us, even in the midst of our greatest afflictions.
Elijah's another example I'll give you. Elijah's an Old Testament prophet, and he saw some amazing things happen. He, he, it was a very difficult time for the people of Israel and people, the Jewish people, and so he challenges them at one point. He says, you know, either Baal is God or God is God, and you got to choose one or the other. And he actually uh, challenges the prophets of Baal to kind of a throwdown, if you will, Old Testament throwdown. And they had this huge moment on the mountain with God comes down in a mighty way, and they kill the prophets of Baal, and, it's, and all the people turn back to God. It's amazing. And yet right after sort of this high of highs for Elijah's life, we read this. This is in 1 Kings 19. Ahab is the king. So so when Ahab got home, he saw all of this happen. He told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Death threat, right? Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, the town of Judah, and there he left his servant there. Okay, so I wanted you to see this and highlight it because I want you to understand that oftentimes when we're going down a path, we're going down a path of depression, we're going down, we're kind of giving in to some of the maybe predispositions in, in our hearts, and we're going down this, we had the highest of highs and now the low of lows is coming, that one of the first things we do is choose isolation. One of the first things that we do is choose to be alone. So he leaves his servant there and he goes off by himself. It goes on to say, he went on alone to the wilderness traveling all day and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough Lord. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer, but many people have. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better off than my ancestors who have already died. He says, then he lay down and slept under a broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him to get up and go eat. He said he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baking on hot stones and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. One of the reasons I love you know, just the way in which we hear Elijah's story come back to us is that even in the midst of his suicidal thoughts and tendencies, even though he was ready to probably take his own life, yet he's asking God to take it for him. Even though he's chosen isolation, he's, pull, he's pushed people away, even in that moment, God still provides for him. God still cares for him. God still ministers to him. He tells Elijah to go to the mountain of God, and he, he continues to minister him there for another 40 days as he gets to the mountain. And here's what happens. He goes out and stands before the mountain, the Lord said. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a what? Say it out loud. There was a sound of a gentle whisper. And it said, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. What you see happening in Elijah's life right here is what we oftentimes go through trying to process, even in our greatest affliction, even with those mental health disorders, we, we, we see the correlation of what we think and then what we look for and then what we actually listen to. And we've seen this play out negatively. You can play this out today in a negative way. It's your negative thoughts, it's your negative assumptions, it's your, it's your class is half empty, even uh, approach to something. And therefore, that's what you begin to look for. That's what you begin to see in your life. 
And when you begin to see, you only see those things. Therefore, you only hear what you want to hear. And yet for Elijah, you see all his thoughts that I'm no better than my ancestors. If you read the conversation he has with God, it's all his thinking. And then he goes to look for God to rescue him. He looks for God to do another mighty act in his work. He looks for the wind and the earthquake, and he's looking for God in the bigness of what God has already done in his life. And yet God wasn't there. And I love when he says he came to him in a gentle whisper because it goes back to show if you choose to listen, if you understand that God is still drawing close to you, that's what the gentle whisper means. That even though you might be looking for him somewhere else, he can still draw close if you're willing to listen out for him in that gentle whisper. And it was redeemed. i got to be honest, this is a beautiful story of redemption because the very thing that Elijah prayed for, the very thing that he was most fearful of as someone else killing him, never, ever happened. Okay? It never happened. Like, God just took him. I wasn't there, but it was like a chariot, you know, and it was this amazing thing, and he just took him. He didn't even have to experience what he was most afraid of. And it redeemed that moment, redeemed that part of Elijah's story in his life. Another example is David, King David. He's one of the most famous Jewish people in the Old Testament. You know, you read about him as a little little boy killing Goliath, or you read about him as a king, you know, all his conquests and just what he did for the, the people of Israel. David's just amazing. And yet many, many scholars, if you look it up, many scholars kind of argue a little bit about, you know, the, the kind of personality that David had, that David had some personality and predisposition to some, some depression and, and dysthymia, and, and some of them even stated that he was sort of, uh, sort of had this mania in his life because he, he had such extreme. Right? He was in terms of just not only victorious in battle, but he just he was a he was a poet. He lamented. He wrote songs in A minor. You know, I mean that's the that's the that's the kind of guy he was. He had these big giant extremes in his life. And I love this passage. You're gonna recognize maybe the beginning words of this passage, but just notice how God kind of enters and helps him manage and, and redeem and heal what he's struggling with here. He says, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I, only, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually, continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking, as I remember how it used to be. He says, I walked among crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He goes on to say, now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from, a distant, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan from the land of Mount Mizar. He says, I hear the, the, I hear the tumult of the raging sea as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. He says, and through each night I sing his songs praying to the God who gives me life. He says, oh God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander in grief, opposed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? This goes back into that refrain. He says, why am I discouraged and why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. 
I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. One thing I love about David is that in all of his, in all of his expression of these emotional, um, these emotional expressions of understanding how he was just tormented by some of the things that we all kind of see as, as these disorders that we experience as well, is absolute hope. That he, we all want to have, like, I don't know if you grew up in church where you sang that song in youth group, like, as the deer pants for the water. You know, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I know it pretty well. I'll just let you know, right? As the deer pants for the water, you know, my soul longs after you. Oh, we all like that part of the, of the song, but we don't understand the despair and the discouragement and the sadness and the disorders alone that David was experiencing, that he was struggling with. And his words were saying, you don't understand. If I don't hold on to this absolute hope, I have nothing to hold on to. If I don't cling to, if I don't, you know, hold tightly to the truth of God, that his love never fails, that he's the God who gives me life, and all the words he said in that psalm, if I don't hold tight to those things, then I don't have hope. And I will choose to remember you. I will choose to remember that absolute hope. Now, again, I really do believe no matter where you are, that God will provide a way. He will provide a way to manage, redeem, and heal your greatest afflictions. And I don't know what you are personally dealing with. I don't know who you live with. Okay? I don't know who you work with or who's in your circle that this is going to matter to when it comes to whether it's you or whether it comes to you ministering to them. But you need to believe that this is true. You need to be able to understand that that is God's way. God, that is God's plan. That he, he may not remove all those circumstances. He may not remove that disorder. He may not do that, but he will always provide a way. And I don't know how he's going to do it. He does it differently for different people. He does it differently for you personally and what, you, what you're experiencing. I, I wrote down four ways that I really do believe that some of the ways he does help. He does help us manage and, and, and redeem and heal our greatest reflections. And here's those four. Focused prayer, professional counsel, medical supervision, and we're always going to come back to trusting God's word. We're always going to come back to what does God have to say about it. Now, I don't, I don't know how you start, but the reason I start with focused prayer is because, again, most of the time, the enemy wants to help us walk down this path, and what the world wants to say, and what the medical profession might want to say, and what you read on the WebMD wants to say about what it is that you're dealing with, so you can sort of try to self-diagnose and self-medicate, and not let anybody else know. But I'm telling you, one of the things we have to do is commit to focused prayer, draw close to God. Have those conversations with him. No one should know, and you should not be able to be more, any more open and honest with anyone else in the world than the Father, the good, good Father who created you. If there's anyone you can express something to, it's him. The deepest longings of your soul. And then, you know, I love this in Psalm. This is, again, this is David saying, the Lord hears his people when they call out for him. Why? Because he rescues them from their troubles. And he goes on to say he's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He is close to the brokenhearted. He draws close. That gentle whisper is for you. 
I don't know how it's going to work in terms of focused prayer. That's, I think that's where you should start. I believe that he works through counsel and professional counsel. We obviously believe that it should be Christian-based, right? Or a Christian, a Christian person, at least not of a Christian foundation of their, of their practice. And I believe sometimes when you were working through how you're thinking and some of the ways in which you're thinking, it's always good to have outside professional counsel. They are skilled. They are gifted. They are used by God to help us provide a way to manage and redeem and even heal from our greatest afflictions. We're excited to announce that Adam Fadel is, is going to be um, uh, serving here. He's a counselor in the area, and he's going to be setting up an office at Journey Church. And he'll be here one day a week, and he's offered his services to our church. And, and uh, if you're a partner at our church, he'll, he'll discount some things for you, and um, you can contact him directly. I think we'll have some cards and stuff available for him. I think he's starting in two weeks, um, but he's setting up an office here one day a week so that he can, he can serve our church and serve some of the people locally in this area. He has a couple offices, different places where he works. But he's a phenomenal guy. We already kind of recommend people to him because he's a great Christian counselor. But it doesn't matter who you go to, but that might be a part of how God's going to provide a way. Medical supervision is another way that I believe God provides. God has, we believe God has allowed us to be able to figure out, right, medication to help us accomplish some of the things that he wants to see happen in our lives. You know, when your thyroid isn't working, he, we're so glad we have medicine to help make that work. When there are other things hormonally changed in your life, we, have, we are so happy that God has allowed us to come to a place that we can alter that back to a place where it helps us. So medical supervision is part of the, one of the ways I do believe God does provide a way. But we're always going to trust in God's word. Trusting in God's word, guys, we're always going to come back to, what does God have to say about me? What does God want from me? What is the absolute hope that I'm going to cling to out of the absolute truth of God's Word? Paul shares um, uh, part of his personal story with the church in Corinth. Again, he, he shares a little bit in the second uh, letter that he sends. He says, uh, I, I personally have affliction, and I want you to see how God meets him there. This is in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud, right? Now, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, this is not the fact that he was res resigned in this issue. He, he, he prayed for healing, you know? He prayed for God to take it away. We don't know what the thorn, the affliction was. He says, but each time, God, he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'll share very quickly as we're closing out just my personal uh, my personal experience with this is, and it kind of falls back to those four, those four things. And it started off with prayer, a great deal of prayer. For those of you that know my story, I've struggled with some heart stuff over the last couple of years, and uh, I've shared that before here. And, um, and, and the physical side of it's not that bad, but I take a lot of medicine, and, and a lot of the issues I've struggled with over the last couple of years have come from the medicine and some side effects of the medicine. And it all had to do with fatigue and drive and issues, uh, just issues that, that uh, kind of how it affected me. And I just struggled. 
And uh, it's, I spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time just praying that God would not only heal my heart so I could get rid of some of this other stuff, but always kind of praying through, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? Like, what is it, trying you're, what is it you're trying to have me experience and understand through this process. And towards the beginning of the year, towards the beginning of 2018, uh, I was expressing some stuff to Tracy. And it's not like I bother her every day with my, my, my stuff, but you know, every once in a while she'll ask me how I'm really doing and, and we'll talk about just kind of my feelings and what I'm currently struggling with. And it was about a year ago that she started expressing to me. She said, you know, you know, Matt, it sounds a little bit like you're kind of in a depressed state. She was careful about the words she used, right? It's kind of like you're in a depressed state. Well, I immediately heard her say that you're depressed, and I said, not possible, right? And I just wrote it off. No, that's not it. Wrong. Not true, you know? And she was gentle with me. She always is, right? She's a, uh, she was like, no, you're, you know, it just sounds like you're in this depressed state. And I said, no, that's, that, that, that really can't be it. And I continued to pray and continued to pray, continued to pray. And then I, I shared it with uh, some of our, my advisory team. They're the leaders of the church that kind of helped me, and, and, um, and I, I shared it with them. And one of our advisory team guys is a doctor. And as I was sharing with them a little bit of the, you know, I, I always try to come with clever ways to kind of describe how I was feeling. And as I shared it, you know, he just said, you know, and he gave me this little questionnaire on his tablet, and he said, um, yeah, he said, well, well, just fill this out real quick. And I filled it out, and a couple of statements in there, I knew exactly what it was when he said it. A couple of statements were like, well, do you feel hopeless? And, you know, do you ever want to take your life? I'm like, no, you know. But a lot of the other questions I answered yes to, and a strong yes. And, and as I got done, he said, you know, you may want to talk to your doctor because, you know, it really does sound like you've got some symptoms of depression. And I, and I again, kind of wrote it off. Not as much. I respect him, so I didn't write him off fully, right? But you have to understand, even as a pastor, even someone who has worked with people, you know, even as people who, I've worked with people who are depressed, I just didn't see depression that way, you know? I don't, listen, there is no negative self-talk in me. I tell myself I'm amazing every day, <laughs> right? There's no negative self-talk. I didn't have a faith problem. I was trusting in God fully. There was nothing that God couldn't do to heal. Like, I wasn't, it wasn't a lack of faith or closeness in my relationship with God. I didn't find, I wasn't finding corners to cry in all day, and I wasn't sleeping. Like, I didn't have depression. And then, believe it or not, right shortly after I had that conversation with, uh, with Brian, I, I went to this new specialist who's uh, working with me on some other issues, and I didn't realize this, but th the first person I spoke with for an hour was a psychologist. And she spoke with me and talked to me about some other things I'm dealing with in my life, and then she looked at me and she said, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, you actually you know, seem to be experiencing quite a bit of depression. And at that moment, I just really began to go, okay, God, what, what are you trying to say? What, what, what are you trying to say? I was getting ready to step into some medical supervision that I needed in my life, and here they were kind of saying the same thing that I'd been hearing, and yet offering that opportunity to say, we can, we can help you. And it's just, it's, it's just a little, we just want to treat it a little bit and just see. And I can promise you, it's not been the, it's not been a, a game changer, but about a month later, I could tell a huge difference in my life, in my state of mind. I don't know what normal is. I can't even tell you what normal is in my life anymore. I can't tell you if I'm back to normal or not. I don't know. Right. But I do know that God was at work through all of that process. 
And I do know that whether it was my time in prayer or whether it was counsel from my wife and doctors and, 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 and psychologists that I got counsel and now I'm in medical super, supervision, that I really do believe that God has provided a way to help me manage, to redeem at least for me my view and understanding of depression. And I really do am trusting God for healing. Understand, I've, I'm not resigned this. I'm not trusting a pill to make me feel better. I'm not trusting in counseling to help me work through my issues. I'm letting all of it be the thing that God wants it to be right now in this season of my life to help me manage, to redeem, and I am believing that he will heal this affliction. I don't know what it is going to be for you. And when I talk with people that do struggle with some mental illness challenges, I, I what I hear more often than not is how much it begins to play into how they see themselves. And I want you to know, I'm, I'm, this is not just me speaking this for me, but I'm speaking this for you, that our illness, right, our illness is not our identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. Our illness is not in our identity or the symptoms. It's in Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to end a little differently. I'm going to call the band to come back up, and we're going to sing in response this morning. Um, we're just going to respond to God in, in, in this way because, again, I, I'm believing for you and for me that whatever you are personally dealing with, that God, if you are willing to surrender, if you're willing to take the next steps, that God will provide a way. I don't know if he's going to heal you right now. I don't know when healing will come. I know that he can redeem anything in your life. It doesn't matter if it was a past experience or current circumstances or an imbalance you're experiencing. And I know that he can provide a way to manage it right now, the, the things you're dealing with right now. And so we're all going to stand. Let's stand together. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. If you want to pray this morning, if you want to just receive prayer for those three things, regardless of what it is in your life, whether it's a way to manage, a way to redeem, or a way to be healed from whatever it is emotionally you're struggling through, I want you to come up here and just stand up here at the stage. Come stand with me. This is a prayer that I'm praying for me as well while we sing and while we respond. And then after the song, I want to be able to just pray with you and for you. So feel free at any point in the song just to come on up. If you're up front, just put a hand on a shoulder if you're up front. And then I want the rest of the church, we're going to pray for each other, and I want the rest of the church to pray with me as we just lift us up in prayer this morning. Father God, I'm so thankful for David's heart to write those words, that he holds to the hope that is within you, that you are the God that gives him and gives us life. And the words of those songs, that you bring light to the darkness, not just in this world, but you bring light to the darkness of our thoughts and our emotions and our soul. And for everyone right now, right here, God, that's, that's wanting to find a way, wanting to look to you to provide a way. God, for every single one of them that has surrendered their heart to you, they have surrendered their life to you, God, I fully believe that they, are, they no longer are, they belong to themselves, they belong to you. They are under the authority of Jesus Christ. 
And right now, God, I do not know if it's your will, but right now we're going to pray with confidence that you will step into whatever affliction they have right now and you will bring healing. You will hear their thoughts and you will hear their bodies and you will heal their, their emotions. If it's your will, God, right now. And because, God, we don't always know when you will bring healing. And we, even though we trust you for it, God, I pray that everyone here will just, just surrender to your spirit to know what the next step is to see you provide that way, to help them manage what they have failed to manage thus far, to help them better manage what they have tried in their own strength to manage thus far. God, to redeem what they see as, as, a, as a liability, God, you see as an asset. What they see as a problem, God, you see as an opportunity for grace. And I pray that you, just in your spirit's power, would do a work in their heart today that they would really believe that you want to provide a way to help them manage, redeem, and heal their greatest, their greatest affliction. God, we are not trusting in anything in this world to solve or to help us work through the mental illness and the mental health crisis we see today. We're trusting you. But God, use counsel, use supervision, use prayer, use fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are not afraid to enter this conversation. Use them to share the hope that is in you to serve one another, even in our struggles, to serve one another well and to love each other well through it. We thank you and we pray all of this by the power of your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.